I've been there. You finally get a few minutes to work on your blog. You're excited and ready to put some work into your newest post, but you end up spending hours staring at a blank page, trying to come up with something new and original. You might even have a few solid ideas, but getting them written down on your passive income website is another story. But don't worry, I have an answer for you. His name is Jasper. Jasper, formerly known as Jarvis, is a content creation AI or artificial intelligence that can help you finish blog post articles, create SEO content, make engaging social media posts and more, usually two to five times faster than doing it on your own. I admit I was a little skeptical before I gave Jasper a try, and I'm thoroughly impressed with how Jasper creates original, worry-free content. In fact, most of what you just heard me say over the last minute or so was created by Jasper. With just a little input from you, Jasper will take care of the rest, from brainstorming ideas to writing paragraphs to releasing you from the shackles of writer's block. Blogger Evolution listeners get an exclusive deal by visiting bloggerevolution.com slash Jasper. That's bloggerevolution.com slash Jasper. You will get a free five-day trial, 10,000 words automatically added to your account for free upon signing up, and my personal blog recipe to shorten the learning curve and get you up and running as soon as possible. To learn more and to get started, head over to bloggerevolution.com slash Jasper. That's bloggerevolution.com slash Jasper for your free bonuses my wife started going wow he's actually building something from this and so we talked about it and we were in a position where we could say hey you know what you've been doing this government thing for 20 years let's just call it a day and let you focus on trying to build these sites and you know and so that's what i've done i i was able to put in my resignation in 2020 and i've just been focused full time on building sites and learning and fingers crossed hopefully growing to a point that i can feel like i've made some real success with it Regular people are taking their passions and interests, writing about it in a blog and making a living from it. But not everyone is successful. There is a right way to build a blog and a wrong way. And I am here to help you succeed with your online business. My name is Chris Miles, and this is the Blogger Evolution Podcast. Oh, and welcome to the Blogger Evolution Podcast. My name is Chris Miles, wherever you are wherever you may be. Thanks for making us part of your day. Ah, Welcome to another week. Welcome to another inspirational session (laughs) that we have for you today. Okay, so today we had the opportunity, we, I act like there's a lot of us doing this. I had the opportunity to uh, interview Mike East from Below Average Blogger on YouTube. Go out and check out his YouTube channel. He literally drops nuggets every time, and he does so usually from the seat of his car while he's dropping his kids off. <laughs> this is a great story that uh, Mike has. And what's really so impressive about what he's done so far is he literally just started this stuff in, I think, the summer or the fall of 2019. By the end of 2020, he was handing in his resignation to his 20-year law enforcement job. Now, if that's not inspiration, I don't know what is. The fact that he was able to do that in such a relative short period of time, uh, he, he was just in a position to be able to do that. But this interview is amazing. We talk about so many different things when it comes to building niche sites. Um, we talk about how he vets a particular niche before he even jumps into it. Some risks that he took that actually ended up paying off. Um, his keyword strategy that he's using that literally within a few months, he was already making over $500 a month with his sites. 
um, other further monetization strategies. He he says he normally goes after the informational type content, but he has some strategies that he's using in order to infuse some affiliate income, other monetization streams so that he can make more money with the same traffic, which I think is is pretty uh, out, pretty awesome. Um, he has a very interesting take toward the end of the interview on artificial intelligence and the future of it. I know that is a huge, huge topic right now, but Mike gives exactly what he thinks about it and what the future of it is and pretty much how he's going to be proceeding. And you're going to want to hear it because it's pretty interesting and you may want to proceed in the exact same way. And then he also has one of my favorite things to talk about is keyword research. And he talks about his strategy that he has when it comes to zero volume keyword uh, terms to go after for your blog and the success and some of the misses that he's had with it. He lays it all out on the line. It's a great conversation. I want you guys to get ready for this. It's going to be amazing. Um, go ahead and again, check him out over at uh, Below Average Blogger over on YouTube. We even talk about how he came up with that name. So it's going to be fun. Anyway, check out the interview. I'll catch you guys later. All right, so welcome back to the Blogger Evolution Podcast. My name is Chris Miles, and now we have Mike East from Below Average Blogger. Very interesting name for his uh, YouTube channel. Be sure to go check him out over there. But Mike, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks so much, Chris. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I really appreciate you accepting. This is going to be a fun interview, I think. All right, so um, let's go ahead and just give give everyone like a quick you know background on how you uh, got into this business and uh, where you happen to be right now. Sure. So um, I don't have much of a background at all in blogging. I had spent straight out of high school. I had joined the military. I had spent about 10 years in the military. Um, I got out. I became a law enforcement officer for a few years and eventually moved into government investigations at the federal level. Um, really dry work and just wasn't fulfilled in anything I was doing. And COVID happened. <clears throat> excuse me. COVID happened. And we found ourselves at home because I was work from home at the time. And then when they shut down investigations because of all the lockdowns, we kind of sat at our desk twiddling our thumbs quite a bit. And so I started looking for ways to find money online, um, to make money online. And blogging reoccurringly would show up. And for so long, I had just mentally associated blogging with like a 2005 way to make money. I didn't yeah. think of it as a modern way to make money. And I probably also misassociated it with people's personal blogs, right? So like travel or follow me type blogs. And I think that's where the disconnect was. But, but nonetheless, I found some YouTube channels. And I found there was people modern day basically making niche websites and informational content websites and monetizing those to make income. And I thought, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I kind of hit the ground running and started writing and had some failures and had some small successes here and there. So the last year and a half has been very interesting, but it's been fun. It's been fun to grow and, and earn some money online like I planned. Nice, nice. So you started in 2020? Uh, 2021. It would have been the... Summer or summer or fall of 2019. I, oh, 2019. I okay. All right, cool. Yeah. So you hadn't necessarily been at it for a super long time yet. Um, you said that you went online and just Googled, you know, how to make money online. I, we've all been through that, right? <laughs> uh, did you try anything else or was blogging like the first thing you tried? Yeah. So I tried lots of things. I, I would dabble here and there over the years. So back in like 2011, I did start a blog, but it was about MMA and like current fights that were going on. Cause that was kind of an interest of mine at the time. Yep. However, I didn't know anything about SEO. I didn't know anything about competition. I didn't know anything about, about anything really. So I was just writing articles, posting, you know, pictures and wasn't really getting any traffic, but also didn't even know how to measure that traffic. I didn't even know about Google analytics or anything. Yeah. I was just a guy with a site and typing. And 
as you can guess, it didn't get any traction that I know of. And so I kind of just gave up on it and left it alone. Um, a few years later, I tried the whole Amazon, um, FBA, Amazon type businesses where I was, mm-hmm. I tried probably the most saturated thing possible, which was screen <laughs> protectors for iPhones and uh, made a little tiny bit of money here and there and kind of fizzled out on that too, just because I had a full-time career. And it wasn't until this 2019 effort where I started making some some progress and traction and seeing metrics that made me go, oh, okay, there's, there's something I can work with here. Okay. And that's basically what, like what really attracted you to blogging, I should say, from all the other things that you tried and, and, you know, didn't have the best success with, but uh, what was it about blogging that that told you, you know what, this is something I probably need to start doubling down on. Well, it was a couple things. So like I said, I started with an MMA blog years and years ago, and that's just because I liked writing and mm-hmm. a background in law enforcement. You write a lot of police reports. You have to tell a lot of stories through through your reports. And I just was I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed the process. I enjoyed the process of putting together information and laying it out in a manner that was easy to digest. And so that coupled well with the idea of informational content sites where if you you know put out the correct volume and keyword research and write these articles in a good manner, um, you know, you can monetize it and make money with it. So I kind of just married those two, those two interests, the, the ability to make money online with the ability to enjoy writing and, um, and then seeing some bigger channels, like maybe income school where they would show, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, this person's been blogging a few years and he's making five grand a month or 10, you know, whatever that, whatever that interview might've said. And obviously to someone who's not making any money online, that seems very appetizing. And that also got me excited about it too. Um, granted, I haven't hit those numbers yet, but I am I am actively pursuing it. Yeah, no, I totally hear what you're saying. And since you do bring up the numbers, uh, would you would you mind just showing maybe an, a quick overview of about uh, what you're able, what you've been able to do so far with your blogging business? Yeah, sure. So, <clears throat> like I said, I started my first blog in the summer of 2019, and I started that in a in a high competition niche, and I did a pretty poor job with articles because I was so focused on my article count that I, I. I would source it out to cheap writers. I had poor quality content. It was in a very competitive niche. And as you can guess, that's kind of a recipe for, for not going very yeah. far. And <clears throat> so then I happened to start a blog about a type of grill that I owned. And it was kind of an underserved area in Google. And I thought, well, I own the grill. I'm always using it. So I'll just take pictures. I'll write content about it, informational content, and see what happens. Because there was really nobody answering these questions on Google at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I did it. I just threw it together. I put maybe 20 articles on it and it started getting some traction pretty quick. And I thought, okay, well, this is, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. So I started throwing content at it and really focusing on good content and making it genuine, personal from my own experiences, rather than more of the third party monotone review style articles. I was trying to make it personalized and make it look like it was authentic. And so I just went that route with it and it started taking off. And within about nine months, it was seeing about 30,000 monthly visitors. And by the peak of summer, under a first year at the peak of summer, I was just shy of 50,000 page views, which was really exciting for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And monthly, I was at the peak of summer. I made around just over $2,000, like 2,100. Really? That's that's nice. um, It was awesome. I mean, it was super exciting for someone who had no success previously. Yeah. And so that's where I've kind of stayed, even with the seasonality of grilling, I've noticed in the colder months, it's dripped off or dipped down a little bit. I'm around 18, 1900, I'd say at this, at this point. That's great. (laughs) You know how many people try and just never get their first 
few cents online and the fact that you're able to get that you know pretty consistently now is is pretty amazing um i like how you said uh where there's smoke there's fire with your grill site <laughs> it's very <laughs> apropos right there um so just so i can make sure i got this right so you basically saw a space and you saw that it wasn't being covered very well online and then you were just like did you just say okay just let me just take a chance did you do anything else to kind of validate it or did you just you know what let's just do it I, I would like to tell you I went through a series of steps to validate it. However, I think it was my own just being naive at the time and still being excited about blogging. I saw a whole because I would search informational things like how to do this or what's the best way to do that about this grill. And I would get maybe just forum posts, Reddit posts kept showing up at the top. And I thought, wow, nobody's answered this. And I had heard um, through various YouTube channels that if you're finding holes in Google where the only ranking results are, are community style posts mm -hmm. that generally if a website tackles this, um, they have a better chance of ranking above those. And I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. I'll, I'll start writing content about this where there's nothing but forum posts and community posts and see what happens. And it ended up doing, you know, taking a lot of those top spots. Yeah. So how many sites did you have before this one? I know you mentioned that you had a couple of other sites that you were doing. Uh, I guess how many failures did you have before you actually had one that actually worked? <laughs> Uh, so I had the camping site. I, well, I still have the camping site and it to this day, it's still slowly growing, um, but okay. it's because it's such a competitive niche. And because I didn't really hone in any keyword research skills to probably over a year into blogging that content I'm writing over the last 12 months is just now starting to rank and just now starting to get a little traction. So the camping website makes a couple hundred dollars a month, like 200 bucks a month. Okay. Um, so I don't consider that a success. I don't consider it a failure because it's somewhere in the middle for me, um, but I'm working on it still. And it's, the domain is aging and it's it's gaining some maturity in Google. So I'm just going to keep adding better and newer content to that one. But at this point, I don't consider much of a success. Um, I started a very, very niche down site within camping um, about tents. And I thought, oh, there's so much information just about tents alone. If I do like a, a micro niche site, I'll see if I can rank with that. And so I put about 30 articles on that and for whatever reason, Google absolutely hated it. I got almost no impressions and I'm talking for almost a year. It was, it just, for some reason, didn't have a pulse in Google. It couldn't pick up any traction. Mm -hmm. And again, a newer site, not the best writing. Cause I was sourcing it out to, to cheap writers at the time. Cause I was focused on article count. Yep. Um, so I just didn't have any luck. And I attributed a lot of that to quality at the time. Um, and I then did a breed specific pet blog about my dog that I have. He's kind of a unique hunting style dog. And I thought, okay, well, there's a good seed keyword volume for this dog breed, but no specific site tackling it. However, there are much larger pet sites that do tackle the breed. So, you know, AKC and Spruce Pets and all these bigger names, but nobody tackled a lot of informational content about just the breed. So I went for the dog breed site as well. It's doing pretty good right now. It's about 15,000 visitors a month and growing. Um, and then I have two smaller ones that I've just thrown 30 articles on each, and I'm going to let those kind of see if they gain any traction. And if they do, I'll start working on them more. And if they don't, I'll kind of look at where maybe it's failing, but we're doing a lot of testing and growing and some things are working and some things are not. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally makes sense. How, how many sites do you have total, I guess? 
five right now five okay yeah. no that's that's pretty awesome and i don't i mean i, I fall short of just wanting to discount the i don't want you to, to discount the two hundred dollars or so you're getting per month i remember <laughs> when i first got started with this business we're well, not really just with a bit just trying to make money online i remember thinking man if i can make an extra hundred bucks you know how much easier my life would be right now or if i can make an extra 50 bucks how much different my life would be because usually you know um depending on you know the type of job you have a lot of the money that you know, you earn is already spoken for. It's already accounted oh, yeah. for by the time you get it. So to get an extra hundred, extra 200, um, I mean, I'm not saying that it's, you know, all, all, you know, you can be able to retire and quit, <laughs> quit everything that you're doing just for the 200, but I wouldn't discount it for, for it, actually a site like that's probably worth like five or $6,000 if you were to turn around and sell it to somebody. Uh, mm-hmm. So and I just wanted to throw that out there because that, that that could cover a cell phone bill and I, if, if that's happening passively, I would definitely say go with it. Um, let me ask you this: so, what do you think was the biggest contributing factor from the sites that you had that uh, weren't doing the greatest to this one that all of a sudden the uh, the grill site that is doing best? What's the difference between the ones that didn't work and the one that that is working? Sure. So there was two huge factors that I think played the biggest role. Um, the first one, which I, I mentioned a little bit, and that was I sourced out really poor quality content. And in the beginning, I was very, very focused on article count and word count of my website. And I was thinking by this date, I need to have X amount of articles. And I didn't have much of a budget because I wasn't bringing in any monthly revenue at the time. Mm -hmm. So I was going to Fiverr and getting writers that were giving me really poor quality back. I would try to clean them up a little bit when I got it back, but between broken English and things you could tell they didn't really relate with what they were writing about. They were trying to just regurgitate what they found on the web. And so it just really made for low quality, unhelpful content. And then you pair that with in the beginning, I'd say I focused a lot of attention on very competitive keywords that I should have never even tried to touch early on, um, where the number one ranking sites were just blowing me out of the water with their size and volume. And I was writing those articles and then wondering why I couldn't get in the top 50 of the SERPs. And so changing my keyword strategy from competitive best of X for Y type stuff down to really specific informational content that covered problems that people had with products or services. Okay, cool. So you're saying that basically the majority of your content now that you're adding to your sites is basically informational based? It's, I'd say it's about 90% informational, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so you said you were sourcing out some of the content to Fiverr and places like that. Are you still sourcing out content and what tools are you using right now, if you don't mind asking? Sure. So as I was trying to navigate this world of outsourcing content, I tried a bunch of services. I tried Textin and iWriter and I'm using Content Pit, Passion Post. I've used a lot of different services, um, some of which can be more expensive, obviously, of others, but they also provide better quality. And it's really trying to find a balance of getting a good priced writer who can still deliver authentic quality content and and finding that balance. It's not the easiest thing. Yeah. And I've gone through a lot of services and I've gotten to a point where I will either pay a higher service to give me a better quality article, or I have two writers on iWriter that I just go direct to that. I know I could just count on those specific two writers, not throw it into the general queue and just kind of roll the dice and see what I get. Yeah. I can go directly to those two writers and say, Hey guys, here's these articles. And i I've done enough with them at this point. I, I just trust what's coming back. It's been good for a long time now. Oh, that's great. Okay. So you're mainly using iWriter right now, but you're you're using writers specifically through there that you've already found and vetted through the past. Correct. I had to go through like this long testing process where I probably went through 50 writers. And out of 50, I have two that I now go to 
all the time. Nice, nice. Yeah, no, outsourcing is such a huge thing, especially when it comes to time and money, right? Because you either pay someone to do it or you can do it yourself. You're going to pay somehow, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether it's with your time and your money. And uh, I know you're a family guy too, right? You have uh, yeah, kids. Yeah, so, two, you know, two kids and a dog here, and they're in school and busy in sports, and, you know, we're busy. And so, like you said, you're going to pay one way or the other. Yeah. And then there's the reality of, you can just get burnout when you're like every day I'm writing one or two articles or, you know, five a week or whatever you're doing. If you try to source that to yourself on top of your personal life, you can get burnt out just as quick too. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I was, I, I was recently watching one of your YouTube videos and you're saying how you had uh, just getting ready to go pick up your kids, but you forgot to do the YouTube <laughs> video. So you got the camera, you're like, Hey, if I crash, I got a good story to tell. That's right. I, <laughs> I, I figured if I get hit, at least I can maybe have a viral video. Exactly. And so I guess that leads to this question, you know, cause burnout is a real thing. Um, and especially when you're balancing life, you know, kids, if you have a spouse and all of these things, how are you balancing life with five sites that you're running? So I, so I went to my, my wife and when this all first started, I said, look, I'm going to really try to focus on making some money online. And she said, yeah, go for it. She, you know, I don't think she thought much of it. Cause I'm a guy that has a new hobby every few months. So <laughs> yeah. I think she just thought, great. It's a new hobby. And so I started really just deep diving into all the online content I could find all the resources I could find. And I started just spending, I mean, between my full-time job and trying to grow blogs, I was working probably 16 hours a day. I was working a lot. I would get up in the morning, start writing before my work shift, do my work, get off, write another article or two, or talk to somebody on Fiverr about getting articles done. I was just round the clock focused on it. And somewhere around the point where we started making, I'll say $500 a month within, you know, I'd say nine months I was making that or six months. It was pretty quick. And my wife started going, wow, he's actually building something from this. And so we talked about it and we were in a position where we could say, Hey, you know what? You've been doing this government thing for 20 years. Let's just call it a day and let you focus on trying to build these sites. And, you know, and so that's what I've done. I I was able to put in my resignation in 2020 and I've just been focused full time on building sites and learning and fingers crossed, hopefully growing to a point that I can, you know, feel like I've made some real success with it. That is amazing. Like <laughs> really, really amazing. The fact that you've been able to now step in this full time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. And I like how you, uh, you kind of pre-frame the family. You're just like, Hey, I'm going to be doing this because I have somewhat of a obsessive personality. And to be honest, in this <laughs> business, that's great. If you have an obsessive personality, I think it's helped. Yeah, I do. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and I, I kind of did the same thing, having a nice, uh, a support system around you makes a huge, huge difference, especially because you can't talk about this with anybody, right? This is why I love this, being able to talk vlogging and making money online and stuff with people. Um, now, man, since so since you are in this full-time, I didn't even realize that, since you are in this full-time, what made you think, okay, this is really going to be it? Because when it comes to investing, you know, everyone says, oh, get real estate and do this or index funds or yada, 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 try to build you know, wealth or anything. What was it specifically, you know, in the make money situation with blogging was like, okay, you know what, this is, I have enough confidence in this that I can invest X amount of dollars and I'm going to get it back. Even though at the end of the day, I don't have a a land with a house on it or something. What, um, what told you something that, okay, this is the thing to do. Well, there, there was a couple things. And one was in my previous career, um, between the military and law enforcement and then investigations, I always had done well and not to the point where I was a superstar, but I'd always been able to 
outperform peers with the same, we would be, you know, brought in at the same time and I'd always be able to kind of outperform. And I thought to myself for many, many years, I thought, you know, if I could take this effort and this, and this ability to work hard and apply it to myself rather than a company or a government, where could I go? I always wondered, but you can't, when you have young kids and, you know, newly married, you can't be like, all right, now I'm dropping this 401k and I'm going to try to roll the dice and try things, you know? Um, so over time, I just, I had that thought in the back of my head. And then I started trying it during COVID because I had some time all of a sudden at the house where I was still being paid by my job. And, and when the traction started happening and I would see the analytics go up and I would see the, the ad revenue go up and the Amazon sales go up. And I thought, okay, it's happening. And I'm not even putting my full focus on this at this point. So yeah. let me try it. Let me, let me roll the dice. And it was, look, to this day, it's scary because $2,000 a month is not, I'm not killing it, you know, but yeah, it's, no, it's enough to motivate me to go, okay. <laughs> I'm heading in the right direction. Let me let me build on what's working. Let me learn from what's not and see if I can keep growing this. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of friends who they, I, when I tell them, you know, that, yeah, I don't work a nine to five job. And they were like, well, how are you doing this? And how are you doing that? And man, you're, you're, you're you know, you're, you're ballsy. You know, you're going out there and you're, you're just doing it. I'm just like, and I, I have always had the this only phrase. Way. In, yeah. I only had this phrase in my head. I'm always saying, you know what? Scared money don't make money. Right. I mean, yes. at the end of the day, either it's going to work or it's not. But the chances of it working Especially like I, I appreciate how you mentioned how, you know, as you have done stuff through your life, you realize that you have kind of excelled every time you tried to do something and you actually put your mind to it. Now you're making the shift of putting your mind to something that's going to benefit you 100 percent rather than benefiting a huge business, a corporation or the government. Right. Whatever it is exactly. that, that you're doing. And I think that that is that is outstanding. That is that is amazing and a great story. I appreciate it. And the one thing my wife and I both said to each other is, OK, worst case scenario, this crashes and burns and doesn't work and a year from now i've made nothing those jobs and those contracting jobs and those government jobs they're not i can go right back to them yeah. i didn't leave on bad terms so i i can take the chance and so far we're getting there yeah i mean at, like i kind of thought about it the same way at worst case scenario i can get another job there's yes. there are a dime a dozen because at the end of the day if the numbers didn't work out in my favor while i was there they probably would get rid of me and not really have a you know, not even think about it, right? Not even mm -hmm. really put a second thought to it. But um, no, that's that's great stuff. But anyway, let's go ahead and focus on some of the uh, content uh, when it comes to your site and, and how you're creating this. Um, I did notice in one of your recent posts that you do a lot of uh, zero volume keywords. Um, how do you know, and just for those who don't know, a zero volume keyword is like if you're using a keyword tool and it says that there's no volume for this particular keyword, how do you know that you should still go after something, even if it's saying that there's nothing there? <laughs> yeah. So this is something I was told quite a bit when I started was that messing with zero volume content or search estimation content was kind of a waste of time because you'd have to write so many articles because the visitors would only be trickling in through these low search volume phrases that you'd have to... the the juice wouldn't be worth the squeeze, so to say. I'd be writing way too many articles and getting very little traffic. And I thought, okay, that makes sense. There's no search estimation. Why would I write those articles? <clears throat> and the only reason I even got started in them is because I started that grilling site that had that gap in content. And a lot of those terms said zero search volume. But I think it's just because these search queries were young in general and Google didn't have enough data to know that the volume was increasing. And I think at the time I wrote them, they were search volume, zero search volume terms, but because interest and popularity of this item peaked or, you know, started to grow, so did the search and 
search volume. And I started getting a lot of traction from these articles that were between zero and 50. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. So maybe Google's, I mean, not Google, but these, these companies that uh, measure or give their estimations on search volume, they're a little bit behind or they're a little bit off. I just didn't, I thought it was interesting, but I didn't, I didn't put too much weight into it. And then when I did the dog breed specific site, I would find more keywords related to the dog that had zero search volume as well, but they would show up in like in the autocomplete of Google, or they would show up in people also ask section of Google. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, well, if Google's suggesting it and people are asking it, even though there's no search volume, there's enough that Google's putting this into their database, these questions and these, these queries. So I'll write them and see what happens. And consistently over time, over and over and over, it's becoming kind of a proof of concept at this point that even though it may say zero to 50 search volume, many, many, many times it can be 500 to, to 2000 a month that you're getting out of these articles. And it's always shocking when it happens. Yeah. Especially when these tools are telling you that, Hey, there's nothing here. Don't waste your time. Well, and these tools are expensive and that's it, who, yeah. if you base your whole blogging business off some of this data, one thing I tell myself is, okay, everybody who's trying to blog right now is using these tools. They're paying money for these tools and they're trusting these tools. So they're going to follow the plan that these tools give them. What if I try something outside of the box? I try something that's not being shown by these tools. Maybe I can get around the competition in a way. And it's kind of worked out in that manner where zero search volume terms or 50 search volume terms have given me really, really good traction and give me decent traffic out of it. Yeah. So how do you know if a I mean, I'm sure you, you said you've had some successes with going after zero competition keywords, or zero search volume competition keywords, and still getting a ton of traffic with it. Um, are you seeing sometimes where you do write a zero competition and not getting as much traffic as you expected? Yeah, I'd say there's definitely some articles that gave me a zero search volume. And then when I go back and look through you know, the past six months or so at those articles, there are some that maybe bring in, you know, literally... 20 to 50 views a month. And that's all they brought me. But when I average out these, these terms and these articles that I've written, I would say I'm able to bring in traffic that far surpasses anything I probably would have got with a competitive term. Gotcha. So you're hitting more than you're missing basically. Correct. Correct. Gotcha. Yeah. Man, so how do you know if something's too specific? Like, is there ever like a, a, a question where you like, Oh, ain't nobody asking that, you know, but then you just go ahead and write it anyway. Is it kind of like a spray and pray or, Hey, this has, you know, zero search volume. I think it makes sense. There's a gap in the knowledge there. I'm going to go ahead and write the article. Yeah. So that happens quite often. I, a lot of times I see a zero search volume term and it'll be so specific. I will think exactly what you said. I'll think this is, this is like three guys on the internet have Googled this. There's no <laughs> yeah. way I should write this article. And you know, so like one, for example, is, you know, can I use this type of grill indoors? And I thought that's such a silly question. You mm-hmm. can't use it indoors, you know, but nonetheless, I wrote the article, talked about the safeties and blah, blah, blah. And it kills every month. It just, it continues every single month. People Google that question, especially in the winter. I think they want to bring it inside and cook, you know, um, yeah, in the garage or something. And yeah, so they, they still search it and it still does well. That is, that, that's, that's pretty amazing right there. Um, do you like look for different variations? I've heard of some situations where someone will, you know, just because this specific keyword has zero volume, a variation of it might have 30 and then another variation of it might have 20 and another variation of it might have that. But then you end up ranking for like a hundred different, you know, types of keywords for that one article. Do you like, if you have like a specific keyword, are you looking for any variations as well? Or do you just go with the one that you find? I'm writing the article and then just rolling with it. So I take the suggested, so I, I look for the, the articles 
that are in a question format. So like the people also ask section of Google, it'll say, you know, can I use my grill indoors? And I will look at that and I will search that again, just that specific term. And I will look and see what associated keywords could be with it. Right. So like, um, is cooking indoors dangerous or does a gas grill inside your house, can it cause a fire or whatever would be associated with that term. And then I'll use those to maybe subhead or bullet point things inside the article to make sure I hit kind of a cobweb around that seed key seed question. Okay. That makes perfect sense. All right. Gotcha. So in terms of, you just mentioned some of the subheadings and so that you might come along with, um, do you just look at a subhead or do you just look at a question and think, all right, I can't really write an entire article on it, but it is tangential. It does work with this bigger, somewhat bigger topic. Is that how you determine what becomes a subtopic versus a full blown article for it? Yeah. So it's kind of twofold for me. When I take an informational content article, I will look for subheadings that relate to it and make sense for it. And hopefully it has a keyword gap for it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you find that and it makes sense and you can put together this beautiful article with perfectly complementing subheadings. And then other times it's so specific, like you said, that like, there's nothing to complement this. It's a silly single answer question. And when that happens, I have to try to get a little creative without throwing in fluff in the article. So, so many articles you look up on the internet, it's, you know, what's the best shoelaces for my basketball shoe? And the article starts off, what is a shoe? And the history of <laughs> the a shoe. history you know, of shoelaces. Like, <laughs> nobody cares about that. So I yeah. try to find something that complements the article, but also isn't just fluff and saturation just to make a word count. So for, I have an article about, is a certain type of grill made in the USA? And it's a pretty quick question. And if you Google it, the company pops up as the snippet saying, blah, blah, blah. But there was nothing beyond that. It was all forums and people talking about it. So I wrote the article and then I did subheadings about <clears throat> why products being in the made matter to some people and um, impact of outsourcing versus domestic manufacturing. And to answer your question, here's, you know, and yeah. that's kind of how I formatted the article. But nonetheless, it's a simple, quick answer question, but I had to do something to give it some sort of meat to the content. So are you, these subheadings, are you, are they just things that you're coming up with off the top of your head that, okay, this makes sense to add, asking this article, trying to maybe put yourself in the head of the reader, or are the subheadings also, people also ask questions and other things that you may have found in your research, or is there a balance so there? There's a balance. So if I can find keywords that complement it to use as subheadings that, that there's a keyword gap for, like other people also ask, or questions associated with it that aren't fully answered on the internet, I will always use those as subheadings. But then when there's times where I can't find much, I have to think to myself, okay, like you said, put myself in the reader's shoes. Why would they Google, is this girl made in the USA? Well, maybe they care about buying only American made. Maybe maybe they're curious why it matters. So I'll I'll kind of put in that information and do it to complement the article. But again, it's a fine line between adding fluff and giving complementing content. Would you say that experience probably is best with trying to figure out this kind of stuff? Yes, I, I, it does because over time I've gotten what I feel, at least for my level of knowledge, it's getting better and better as I go. But that first year, I really did it's pretty tough. awful subheadings and, and research. And I just didn't, I didn't, it's unfortunately, it's one of those things you kind of do grow and build and mature in this business as you continue yeah. to do it. I always tell people it's like, 
this is more of an art rather than it is a science. And I have a very analytical mind. So typically, you know, two plus two, it has to equal four. But in this business, it, it doesn't always work out that way. It's a lot of feel. It's a lot of what's your interpretation based on this, um, especially when it comes to even outsourcing keyword research. Not everybody can do that uh, because it just no one's going to ever care about it as much as you are <laughs> because it's your site. Um, how long does it take for you to see a lot of these articles ranking? So um, as the site gets older and more uh, more authority in Google and the domain, you know, increases, I'm noticing I can write articles now that are ranking sometimes within the week. I mean, I can go in there and they're, they're in those top five pretty quick. Um, other times, depending on the competitiveness of it, it could be upwards of eight months, a year before I really see where it's fully matured and gotten in the SERPs. But with the lower competition, zero to 50 search volume, if I write a good article, um, I usually see it pretty quick. Nice, nice. Yeah, I've seen that as well. There's sometimes, uh, especially if it's an established site, you can get first page rankings within 24 hours, you know. Yeah, pretty quick. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Okay, so, um, so all right, so you're doing your keyword research, you're sitting in front of Google or whatever, and maybe you're using, you use like Alphabet Soup or something like that when you're doing it. That's where I started doing my own keyword research. I started with Alpha, Alphabet Soup and then people also ask. Gotcha. So what kind of keywords would you not go after? Like, what do you see in the SERPs that'll make you like, oh, I better not go after this? So, for example, um, one that I tend to stay, I mean, I've written them, but I don't get excited about them. and I don't write them often. And that would be like the standard product review. Um, generally, the big sites just kill those articles. I mean, they do 3,000 words and they do great pictures and great content. And they all have domain authorities of, you know, 50 Ridiculous. plus. And it's like, what, what am I going to do with this? I could write it and I could take the time to write it and maybe it'll get seen. Maybe I could feature it on the homepage or something, but as far as SEO and getting that organic traffic to it, it's going to be very tough for me to rank for those big high search volume terms that the big names just go after immediately. Gotcha. So if you're just, if you Google your phrase and you're looking at the search engine results page and you see a whole bunch of big name brands and everything, you try to maybe go somewhere else, get more specific, something like that. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I see the, you know, the best this for that and the, the product review and all those are, those are good, obviously money pages, you know, because yeah. people go their buyer intent pages, they're, they're clicking that because they're interested in purchasing something because that's the case. All these companies with huge budgets just tackle those immediately with really high quality content. And yeah, I might have a fighting chance a year from now to rank for that article, but, and I write them for that reason, but I don't, my focus is informational, lower competition and it, and it, it does well, but now that the the site is aging and ranking better, now I'm starting to focus. Okay, now I'm going to put in some some work on some higher competition terms and see how I do against the bigger boys. Nice, nice. Now, what do you have like a delineation of? Okay, it's okay for me to go after a higher competition keyword, or you know, is there anything on the site that makes you think, okay, I might have a chance at it, or do you just, you know, what I think I'm ready and go for it. So if I search a term that's a, a popular term, like a seed keyword for or a best type keyword um, or a review keyword, and the top 20 ranking results are, you know, the Spruce Eats and yeah. Barbecue Brethren and all these big sites. I mean, I, I sometimes I write the article and just tell myself, OK, I'll check this in a year because I know it's going to be a while before I even possibly see it. But I don't get excited about those because I feel like the competition is so high. So I, I tend to just. I have like a 90 to 10 rule right now where 90% is informational. 10% is the buyer intent money pages. Yeah. And I write those and I just say, okay, I'll see you in a year and see what happens. But I get 
more excited about the informational content. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that makes plenty of sense because you want to spend your time knowing that something's going to come out the other side, right? And, exactly. And you, you're yeah. going to surprise yourself, especially as time goes on, because there's some, I have a website that's ranking for terms that there's no, there's no reason why this site should be ranking for this, but it is, you know, but I would have never known that unless I had actually gone for the actual keyword in itself. Um, are you using any tools outside of just Google or is it you just straight Google? So there's been a huge evolution with tools for me. So when I started, Again, I had no budget, no understanding, and I was just winging it. And so I would go on Fiverr and pay someone, you know, 10, 15 bucks to give me keyword research. I don't even know where they got it, but I would get a big spreadsheet back and just, you know, 400 terms and 395 of them I could never rank for. And I would still write them because I just didn't know any better. And then I did my trials of the big paid tools, you know, just so I could kind of get an inside look real quick for for as cheap as I could on the big tools that I couldn't afford, you know, like SEM Rush, where it's a over a hundred dollars a month. Same thing yeah. with Ahrefs, one hundred and five dollars a month. Right, and so when you're a new blogger, that's just like astronomical expense. You can't even consider doing that. At least I couldn't. And so I got to where I really got good with alphabet, and that's I think that's what put me on informational too. Is I didn't have a budget for keyword tools, so I was doing alphabet soup, and mm-hmm. people also ask, and that's where I would find these little holes with informational content. And I think that's where I got kind of fell in love with informational content because it was not what everybody was targeting, but it continued to rank a new site, which was great for a new blogger. Yeah. Yeah. Bootstrapping it has really like opened up a new world, you know, when you really think about it, because especially with these zero volume keywords, because no one else is going for them really. Right. right? Now it's becoming more and more popular, but for the most part, a lot of these big brands, they don't want to waste their time going after a few trickles of traffic where, you know, when we're just trying to, get our, uh, you know, plan ourselves in a particular niche, then gladly I'll write an article that only gets a few hits a month. But as long as it gets a few hits, that's better than zero hits because I went toward something that was too big. All right, cool. Now, um, we talked a lot about keyword research and you have some very unique uh, uh, perspectives on that. So thanks for everything you shared so far. But let's like take a, a quick turn to monetization. Um, you mentioned a lot of, you know, creating affiliate posts. Is that how you're mainly um, uh, monetizing your blogs? So I started blogging with the intent of really just affiliate focused content because I was thinking, well, I'm here to make money. And if I write articles that are product reviews and the best of and the X for Y's, then that's what's going to bring me money with Amazon affiliate links or, or Avant link or um, share a sale, whatever I was, whatever programs I'm in. But I found that because like you said, just a second ago, the big players in this business, they're going for, they have affiliate earnings on a huge scale. So they're writing all these big affiliate terms. Yeah. And that's where I found I wasn't ranking again. And so I did a route where I'm doing display ads with Ezoic um Ezoic Premium and I'm getting the bulk of my income through Ezoic. And then I'd say another 500 a month comes from Amazon Associates. Um funny, I was just looking at my Amazon Associates for the year of 2021 and I sent over $100,000 in revenue and I made like 3,500 on the year. And I was thinking that's, that's a pretty terrible uh, commission rate Amazon's got going right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon, if I was to say, no, go ahead. If I sent REI a hundred thousand dollars worth of, you know, affiliate sales, I, I would have ended up with a check for at least $10,000. But it, at the end of the day, $500 from Amazon every month is still a nice little yeah. change to take home, you know, again, something not to discount. And I mean, Amazon is a conversion machine, right? And that's yes. really what the whole, 
difference is because if you go to somewhere else and maybe it's a place that people haven't heard of before then they got to trust that you sent them to a good site and then they got to sign up for it most likely create a whole new account just to buy this one thing that they mentioned oh is it on amazon two clicks and it's in my it's on my doorstep within a couple of days so um amazon still can't be discounted but uh definitely going after bigger stuff will make a huge difference in your income uh and for that but then you got to become like a better salesman because now you have to really push yes. it a little better and you know one thing i noticed about a lot of vloggers is that we don't like being salesmen right <laughs> so no. we don't want to have to do that at all so um I, I did see um a post that you made recently as well about how you're turning a lot of your informational posts into money posts uh how are you doing that sure so my baseline strategy for monetization is the display ads. So just by people showing up, reading the content, answering their question or problem they have and bouncing out, I'm able to gain ad revenue just through display ads. But I wanted to find a way to take maybe some higher dollar, higher ticket affiliate offers and find a way to strategically put them in articles that are informational only. So what I started using was the reusable blocks on my WordPress builder. I would take maybe a higher ticket. Like, so for example, my dog breed site, there's a pet insurance affiliate program I'm a member of. And every referral you send them is, you know, I don't know, $20 or something just for, just for getting the, the click to the company there. They have a payout for it. Cause for them, it's a sales opportunity to reach out to that customer and, yeah. and try to close a, a premium, you know, insurance plan. Um, and then I also have a, from ClickBank, a, dog training program that has a pretty good conversion rate. And so what I did is I took those because they're much higher payouts than an Amazon click. And I just made like a nice kind of a highlighted block where I kind of feature that item. And then I sprinkled into an informational article, but I will tailor the block to the article. So for example, if someone Googles, you know, my dog ate chocolate, are they going to die today? Mm -hmm. And I write this article about, can this dog breed have chocolate, the dangers of it, when to see a vet and Oh, you know, while, while you're here, this is a good time to think about insurance, health insurance for your pet. And then I kind of throw in that block just, just cause it's on their mind when they're on that page. Um, conversely, if someone Googles, you know, why is my dog chewing up the couch every day? I can write a big article about that and then throw in a block about this great dog training program that eliminates pesky behaviors from your pets. And so I try to funnel some of the informational content into higher ticket affiliate offers that complement that informational content. And you're seeing clicks and stuff to this as well? I am and some conversions, not, not oh, nice. huge ones, but when they're much, you know, they're 10 times higher than Amazon, it, it's a good I'll take the, the sprinkled in wins here and there. Yeah. So basically, just to make sure I got this right, you're basically writing strictly informational posts, but then you're just going a level deeper. If you're answering a specific question, then chances are they might be interested in this as well. So then you just go ahead and you kind of almost like throwing in your own ad, you know, among Correct. all the other ads you might that's exactly have. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's 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 genius. Are you putting like the straight affiliate link or are you sending people to like a landing page and then to the affiliate offer? No. So on those in the article, it's, it's straight the affiliate link to that company. It'll just say, you know, whatever pet insurance, I'll give whatever highlights the insurance has and say, click here to learn more. It'll just take them to the site. Okay. Yeah. I've seen some people talking recently and um, this is a strategy that I use and been using it for a while, but sometimes uh, instead of some people are afraid to put affiliate links on their informational posts, especially in recent months where it seems like affiliate sites kind of got hit in the uh in the google updates so a lot of people are making the shift to informational stuff but um in order to take affiliate links off of those pages you could just like 
have one page that you're just affiliate heavy, just making the hard sell for the program itself. And then in the article linking to that landing page. And um, I found some pretty good success with that because since you're funneling all of the traffic for maybe from an entire category to a handful of pages, you can actually measure how well that page is converting with people and um, do something like that. Have you ever considered that? You ever thought about trying to do something like that? Yeah. So at now that I feel like I'm getting in a, a rhythm of informational content and display ad revenue, now I'm starting to shift my focus. It's kind of an evolution of blogging. I'm starting to shift my focus towards how do I better monetize everything, right? So my email list, my, my landing pages, things where I want conversions. But my, my Achilles heel in this whole process is like you said, bloggers don't want to be salesmen. And I go to like sales copy a page or write a page where I think is going to be this just hot landing page. And I feel so, I just, I suck at it. <laughs> I, I'm not good at writing sales copy, you know? And so yeah. when I really try to sell something, I feel like I almost get cringy with it. So I, it's a, I'm still learning how to make a landing page and, and write appealing content. That's going to want to make someone purchase. Yeah. I just recently acquired a, uh, um, an aged domain that um, I already had is actually not really aged, but I mean, the whole site is I bought a site. I, I, don't, I can't say it, but sure, <laughs> I sure. bought a site. And uh, one of the things that, that you're kind of mentioning is trying to get better at uh, what they call CRO or conversion rate optimization, yes. where now you can try to maximize the traffic that you're already getting by finding another way to monetize it. So it is worth learning it. But, yeah, you do feel a little cheesy sometimes. Uh, which you were trying to be like, hey, this is the greatest thing ever. You should go buy it so it's, I can get a commission. <laughs> it is tough. I mean, it, I mean, unless you've got like a true salesman gift, you know, some guys just got a gift. They can write, people can write stuff down and it makes people want to buy. Me, I, I probably overthink it or I'm worried about how it's going to look. I just have like this self-doubt when I start writing sales. And so like my email list, it's grown to over 600, which nice. for me is a lot. And so I'm like, okay, I got 600 people who've signed up for this stupid email. What am I going to do to make some money off this? And every time I write an email newsletter and send it out, I try to make it like something helpful, like maybe a recipe or some tips and then some sort of offer in there. And I get like, I get some clicks here and there, but I, I get probably more unsubscribes than I do clicks. So it makes me go, okay, I'm doing it wrong. However, I'm doing it. <laughs> Yeah, you're getting the information, you're getting the data, and the fact that you do have an email list that increases the value of the site. I'm not, I don't know if you if you ever have any plans of selling it, but that's something that can help you know mitigate some of the risk, so there'll be less less risk for someone who might acquire the site in the future. So I think that's a great idea what with what it is that you are doing. Um, we're getting close to our time here, but let me ask you: Is there anything that we haven't covered that you might want to uh, go over in terms of uh, the success you've had blogging so far? Uh, not so much for me, but you've mentioned twice now selling a site and I have tons of interest in it, but I've never done it. And I feel like it's an easy way. Either one, I could pay a company that's going to take a huge chunk, but they'll make sure it's safely transitioned when I sell it. Or yeah. I could take a chance on a smaller platform and do, you know, direct to the, to the buyer. And, and hopefully I don't make any mistakes and we're able to transfer this without any problems. What's your experience with selling and, and your thoughts on selling if you're a new blogger or someone who's never sold a site before? Yeah, I'm getting, <coughs> excuse me, I'm getting better at it, <laughs> let's just say. But uh, in terms of how to sell a site, I would definitely, you know, um, I like to have a broker take care of it uh, because it's just easier. You do have to pay a fee, but depending on the the price of the site, it probably doesn't make a difference. If you're talking about couple hundred grand it may not make a huge difference if you're i mean granted you are giving probably 20 percent of it away but yeah. still it's being done um or you can do it yourself uh i just recently interviewed um amira earth earth she's a, a like a, 
a legal blogger and i think i've seen her youtube channel does she talk about info products and ways to monetize your your blogging site on youtube and she has a lot of legal bundles and one of which has a website um contract on you know when you sell or or acquire a site and uh she creates a lot you you think about it when you go to a broker they have a contract that's going to really protect their interest right and then the stuff that she creates protects the interests of the blogger. So it really helps with when you're negotiating which contract you want to use, or if you're just going to, you know, just go on Facebook and find someone who wants to buy your, your site, you can use that contract in case something weird happens with the site during the transition of it. It's a headache moving a site. It, it, it is. So usually, it seems like it. So usually getting a broker is a better idea. Um, one thing that I have learned recently is to always build your site as if you're going to sell it. Um, that way, you don't cut corners sometimes because you realize that, okay, at some point I might want to sell this site versus just doing it just to do it and knowing that you're never going to sell it. So who cares? But um, it is a good way to get a quick, you know, buck, you know, especially if you've worked really hard with it and gotten it, gotten the income, which is really the biggest factor with it is getting the income consistent for at least six months, maybe a year. Um, and then make a big exit. And that's where usually the big money is, is in the exit of a site. So, uh, I would consider it like if you have the, you you mentioned that site we talked about earlier that it's making 200 bucks pretty consistently. If you're not doing much with the site or you can't put more effort into it, you know, you can consider, you know, selling it, making around six, seven grand with it and then um, maybe turning that into your grilling site, you know, to expand mm-hmm. it and do something like that. So it's you're, you're kind of just moving money, right? You just move money from one place to the next. But the fact that you can build an asset that literally was nothing, you know, months ago, years ago. And now it's something that you can actually sell for thousands of dollars. That's that's pretty outstanding. And it's really the big reason why um, I do enjoy blogging so much. That's one of the reasons I've gotten so excited about it is because once you do start to make a little monthly income that becomes consistent and you start to see, wow, I didn't, I didn't do much this month and it still made X amount of dollars. And then you see that growth over time. And then like you said, I can't think of any other industries where someone can come off the street with almost zero capital and make a six-figure asset in under 24 months. Yeah. But it's possible with blogging. And as I see that happen, it definitely gets me excited. But I also wonder about the longevity of a site and how long is it truly somewhat, I mean, I air quotes, passive as far as a blog making money with content. So say you say you put 150 articles on a website and it's making $2,000 a month after you know two years. How long do you think, in your opinion, can you reasonably expect to continue making the bulk of that money just on the content itself without adding new without it depends on how how in you are with the keywords that you got and if there's anyone else coming after you you know it is there's a there's a lot of factors with it usually when someone's buying a site they're just trying to do everything they can to mitigate the risk of what it is because a lot of people who acquire sites especially if they're acquiring them for over a hundred thousand dollars they are not looking for a full-on business they're really looking for something somewhere to park their money really um, for a while mm. so that they can move it somewhere else and have it sitting here and it's still a tax write-off you know here because I've, I've noticed a lot of professionals buy sites because i mean not a lot of people just have you know a hundred two hundred dollars two hundred thousand dollars just sitting around you know it, that's not necessarily the most common thing in the world but usually those people are already professionals they're just trying to put money somewhere so that they can avoid taxes usually but um the longevity of it usually you try to sell a site i mean i like to try to get rid of a site around the time it gets to around two grand because uh the pool of people who can purchase the site it 
severely dwindles once you get over a hundred thousand dollars so um it's just one of those things you just got to try and just see uh but you can just keep it i mean if you have a site that's generating you two grand a month and it's in an evergreen niche and you got some pretty good keywords and you're pretty in that spot you can just keep it and just keep the money coming in each month but again the money is in the exits that's that's what i've been seeing yeah i i kind of have this master plan i don't know if it'll work out but that is have a portfolio of sites and every year be in a position where I could sell one to two in that mid five figure, you know, like you said, so something well under a hundred thousand, maybe in that 50, 60 grand a site. If I can create passive income through the blogs, making a thousand to 2000 a month, and then also have one or two that I sell per year of a, of a, a cash asset of $50,000, that would be ultimately what I'd like to do. But I don't, Again, I'm green at this and I'm trying things as I go. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, I forgot what the average income is for like an American or whatever, but I think it's around $50,000 maybe a year. Um, that's really a site that makes about 1200 bucks a month. You know, that's, you already have, you know, you have your portfolio that's making, you said around 1900, 2000 or so dollars per month. Mm -hmm. If you have one site that made at least a thousand dollars a month, you can sell a site and make all the money for, you know, for the year, you know, in, in certain situations. So it's definitely worth it. And, um, you can always add additional ways to monetize a site as well. After you get to a certain point and your traffic might be, 100,000, 200,000 people per month. And if you're just doing ads, you're actually probably missing out on a bigger opportunity than if you were to add some type of affiliate, add your own product, um, selling leads. You know, it can be a whole bunch of random stuff like that. All of a sudden, that site that's making two grand might be making four to six to 10 grand depending on that. And at that point, then the site is really worth a lot more. But sometimes you can keep things at a certain spot so that a potential buyer can see the opportunity. So sometimes you hold stuff back just so that the, the buyer can see it and be, oh, I could do this, this, and this and double my revenue overnight. And then that'll help you as the seller be able to move the site just that much more faster, if that makes any sense. But I mean, it's it's a great industry. And uh, the fact that the multiples are just going up and up and up as That's much as I they hear. are. Yeah, I mean, I think a big reason for that is because when Google did a lot of the Panda updates that happened, I don't know, probably four or five years ago now, uh, it helped kind of legitimize the Internet <laughs> because it made it to where you can't be as spammy with stuff and then just get a next page ranking the next day. You had to actually have some good content. And because Google did that, we're now reaching that time four or five years later where people who did do it the right way, their sites are maturing. Their sites are getting to the point to where they're making a decent amount of income and they can exit these sites. So I think these things are getting bigger because as time goes on, Google has kind of helped the multiples increase because they've made it harder to have a good site. And I think that's excellent. And uh, let me ask you this, you know, now that we've talked about that a little bit, where do you see blogging in like the next five years, 10 years? Do you think it's still going to be a thing? I mean, you just recently quit your job to do it full time. So I, I'm, I assume that you, you, you do uh, see it going somewhere. I do. I see. I mean, I, I don't believe that blogging is going to completely die. There's a big rumor out there. There's a lot of talk about people saying, well, AI is going to take over blogging. And there's some articles where AI makes sense to make maybe a product review article or something where it's going over stats or specifications, but AI can't replicate user experience. It can't replicate personal experience, trials and tribulations of using a product. It just, it can only pull from what's already existing on the, <clears throat> it can only pull from what's already existing on the internet and try to output content from that. So 
there's always going to be a need for user-generated content, whether that be YouTube becoming the new blogging or whether that become, you know, writing great articles about the products and services you actually use and can give firsthand knowledge about them. I don't see blogging going fully AI, but I do see a need down the road to understand that to make money online moving forward, I do believe video is going to have to be a part of it. It's just becoming such a everyday way of consuming media and information that you have to find a way to balance video content with your written content. And that's a whole nother struggle having a YouTube channel with a blog or however you're doing it, because it's a whole second job you're going to add to it. Yeah. Does your grill site have a YouTube channel? It does. And I've been so bad about it. I put maybe five videos on it. It's still got, you know, 600 subscribers. I haven't done much to it, but yeah. Um, I, but the problem is I have three YouTube channels. So clearly I have an ADHD problem in this whole (laughs) online making money world. (laughs) So uh, of the sites that you have, the five sites, do you, is is the grill site just far and away the best one and the other ones are just kind of puttering along or uh, is there an even split with kind of the income that they're all making? Sure. So out of the, let's say, you know, $2,000 in a month, um, about 1500 will come from the grilling site and then, or maybe 1400 from the grilling site, about 300 from the dog website and 200 ish from the camping website. Now, with that said, the dog breed site is right at one year old. And I just over the last six months, I've probably added a hundred articles to it, some good keyword research. So I do expect the dog breed site in the next year to start rivaling the grilling site. Fingers crossed. Nice. We'll see. Well, that's, that's good. You know, and then all of a sudden your portfolio is just going to gonna blow up there hopefully yeah hopefully yes exactly <laughs> now nah, this has been amazing thanks so much mike for being on the podcast oh you know i did have one question for you and i forgot to ask it why sure. below average blogger why why would you go with that name <laughs> when i so when i started a youtube channel about blogging it was mainly for accountability right so like you said when you start blogging you can't talk to anybody like yeah. your spouse and friends they just think you're crazy until they see some money they're just like whatever it's just a they're playing around with something. So when you have this accountability online where you're saying, okay, guys, I wrote this many articles. I made 48 cents this month. We'll try again next month and see what happens. I'll let you know. The idea was just to have something where I couldn't just quit immediately. I'd have hopefully an audience that says, hey, man, what happened this month? What, what, what's working for you? What's not working for you? But when I went online looking at YouTube channels, everybody, it seemed to me, was like a guru. Like everybody had 50,000 subscribers and they had, you know, a course to sell. And yeah. they were like, hey, man, I made 22 grand this month. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't need to start a blogging channel where I'm making 48 cents calling myself Mike the Blogger. So I figured if I just do it from this very humble, like the below average blogger, learn with me, I'm going to fail. I'm going to screw up in front of you. So hopefully it helps you guys. That was kind of the idea behind it. Yeah, I, I think the humility factor of it does make a huge difference. I've noticed that even with the name of my channel, uh, Benji's Dad, because a lot of people are like, oh, he's just a dad. Who's, you know, it helps with the relatability. And yeah. um, people will tend to uh, to be attracted f- to you because of that. Um, if you think about it, when you when you meet somebody, sometimes you might forget their name, but you always remember what they do. Oh, yeah, I remember that guy. He's like, um, um, he's the plumber, right? You know, he's, mm-hmm. oh, he's the grill guy, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I remember him. You know, <laughs> that's kind of how it goes sometimes. But uh, anyways, again, thank you so much, Mike, for being on the podcast. Uh, we have we have reached our hour, so I wanted to re- be respectful of your time. But uh, thanks so much for being on. Where can people find you? Yeah. First off, thanks so much for having me. It was actually a very fun conversation. I enjoyed it and I'm glad you reached out to me. Um, you can find me at belowaverageblogger.com or you can go to just search YouTube below average blogger and um, 
my ugly mug will show up somewhere on that screen when you search it. All right, cool. Thanks so much for being on, man. I, I, we'll, we'll catch you later. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Chris. Have you been struggling to make money with your blog? Or maybe you'd like to learn how to build a niche blog and start generating a passive income, but don't know how to go about it. Well, don't worry, I got you covered. Introducing Blog Builder Pro. Blog Builder Pro is a comprehensive online course designed to take you from a complete beginner to having a website up and running that is making you money. Blog Builder Pro also helps take the guesswork out of monetizing your blog by teaching you an easy step-by-step -step process that I call the Nifty 50 Course Steps. These steps will tell you what to do and when to do it so that you are never lost. One of the biggest frustrations that newer bloggers have is that they do not know if the work they are putting in on their sites will yield them some result. But thanks to the more than 60 professionally produced lessons, special worksheets, easy blog and email templates, exclusive webinar discounts, one-on-one -on -one training, and a community that can help you answer questions 24-7, Blog Builder Pro is rocking the industry with this groundbreaking and comprehensive training, holding your hand from start to finish. So go to bloggerevolution.com income and check out the free webinar for some more information. That is bloggerevolution.com income.